Hello and welcome to People, Places, Power with me, Nick Cull. And me, Simon Anhold. In this podcast, we talk about issues of international reputation, foreign policy, and a few other things along the way. And today, we are starting our second season by talking about events that are happening right now in Ukraine. And uh, it's 14th of March, 2022. So um, uh, we'll be uh, discussing things up to this point and uh, thinking about uh, the uh, invasion and what it means for the image of Ukraine, what it reveals about the image of Russia and the state of the world right now. Uh, Simon, what was your initial reaction to news, um, what is it now, three weeks ago that Russia had crossed the border and was, was invading Ukraine? Well, I think, like like so many people, a sense of uh, of, of horror and unreality. Um, we, we, for some reason, perhaps ever since uh, the invasion of Crimea, we all seem to have been talking a lot about the Second World War and remembering the Second World War. And then, as the news started coming in that they really had invaded, it felt as if we were being plunged back into the uh, into the 1930s again. And this. Mm-hmm very sickening feeling that, you know, most of the time you don't feel as if you're living in history. And we suddenly feel that we're living in history. History is not over. Mm -hmm. Big, frightening, appalling events are happening on a daily basis. Um, And and to people that we both know as well, and places that we both know, and uh, utterly, utterly, you know, unthinkable. And yet it's right there. Uh, on our on our televisions, yes, absolutely, and and like you, I'm sure I I have a number of friends in Russia and a number of friends in Ukraine, and I'm talking to them as often as I can. So, um, getting the sort of unvarnished view of at least a handful of individuals directly from uh, fr- from from the places where it's happening, and that's a rather unfamiliar sensation as well. And well, for me. Uh, I think I always tend to think that people are acting in a rational way in the international sphere. And this was so hard to understand because it seems so uh, so irrational, such a uh, crazy thing for, for Putin to have done. I'd been mm. telling the students, I really don't think anybody will, it would want to invade Ukraine in uh, February. It didn't make any sense at all. And yet, um, maybe we're beyond sense and uh, beyond rationality here that we're talking Mm. about something else that we don't yet understand. Yes. Or at the very least, a a perspective on the world that's so radically different from our own that we can't even imagine it. That's, yes, absolutely. So the first thing in terms of international image is this amazing reaction uh, in favor of Ukraine, which mm. is uh, a, a really quite astonishing global uh, phenomenon. Mm. Um, I, I was trying to think of precedents uh, for, for, for this. It reminds me, I was fortunate to know all my grandparents well, but I remember them uh, talking about the feeling in Britain 
after Belgium was invaded in 1914 and the great surge of sympathy for gallant little Belgium and people having songs about Belgium put the kibosh on the Kaiser. And uh, and, and it, it seems uh, like that kind of surge of, of feeling, the surge of uh, feeling for David uh, versus Goliath. Yeah. Um, but also as a historian, I, I've studied um, uh, the US reactions to World War II. And this is very like the way in which the United States embraced Britain in 1940 and particularly took to uh, Winston Churchill. Because I think that this, uh, the feeling for uh, President uh, Zelensky is really um, extraordinary. Mm. Uh, but w- what did you think about it? This, uh, the whole world suddenly turning uh, mm. yellow and blue. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, it's something that we've discussed before and we've noted before um, that it seems to be uh, a cultural universal that people like underdogs, that they warm mm-hmm. to them. Um, one of the things that I've seen from, from my research over and over again is that countries that are perceived to be bullied um, by a country that is not highly regarded nearly always end up with a positive image purely as a result of that. So, for example, um, Tibet is a very good example. We included it once Mm -hmm. in the Nation Brands Index, and it ended up with an enormously powerful image, Um, very much liked and admired, even though it was very clear looking in in detail at the data that the majority of people who were ranking it so high really didn't know anything about it at all. The only thing that they knew was that it was bullied by China, which was perceived to be a bully. Mm-hmm. So I think that certainly that um, that mechanism is is there. The other mechanism that's at play is that a powerful leader on the international stage has an absolutely unique power to quote unquote brand or quote unquote rebrand a country mm-hmm. in a very short space of time. Almost nothing else works that quickly. Um, because we as human beings have a tendency to, pers- to, to personify countries. It's the way mm-hmm. that we understand them. And if a country appears to be represented by an individual, that individual can do enormous amounts of good or harm in a very short space of time. You remember in um, the, 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 that book I co-wrote with Jeremy Hildreth years and years ago, Brand America, we had a whole mm-hmm. chapter devoted to Benjamin Franklin and how mm-hmm. his personality, his character, had the power even to change uh, the minds of the entire French nation about which side to support mm-hmm. based on his character attributes. So we know that this is a very, very powerful mechanism and we can see it operating before our eyes. And then finally, the, the most interesting thing of all, and we've said this uh, on, on many occasions in these podcasts, is that international public opinion does not tolerate conflict. And mm-hmm. the only way that uh, a country can change um, its image widely and in the medium to long term is by engaging in conflict against another nation state. It's the one thing that we are unable to pardon or overlook or Mm -hmm. forgive. Um, And very clearly, um, that's what um, is happening to Russia right now. Um, In some ways, I'm, well, I'll be fascinated to see what uh, what Russia looks like in the Nation Brands Index when it comes out um, in the late summer, early autumn. I suspect mm-hmm. that it will be at the bottom of the of the pile, and I suspect that it will remain there for the foreseeable future. There's no question that Vladimir Putin has done everything you would do if your desire was to make your country detested 
by the rest of the planet mm. for as long as possible. Whatever you need to do to do that, he's done it and he continues to do it. Now, the implications mm -hmm. of that on Russia's uh, ability to recover after this sorry episode are huge because nobody, uh, it, it, Russia is now a pariah and will remain a pariah. Right. There's literally nothing that we could imagine at this point that Putin or Russia could do that will prevent that. Russia is going to be a global pariah for a very, very long time to come, for years, possibly decades, possibly generations. And the impact of that mm -hmm. on, its, on its economy will be profound. It's, it's busted. Um, but nothing, this was part of the problem for Russia, um, was that it already had an oversized sense of its importance. Mm. Um, and, you know, it didn't see itself as having an, being the economic equivalent of Italy. It saw itself mm. as being, a, you know, an, um, uh, a slighted co-equal with the United States that was not getting the respect that it needed in the world. Saw yeah. itself as a country, or, or Putin certainly saw it as a country that had a religious destiny, yeah. uh, that had a, a unique mission. Yeah. And the... the, the um, <laughs> The, the, that has been so, or, or the pre, the reemergence of Russia has obviously been undercut by this. Yes, and it's and it's uh, so interesting because because of these delusions of grandeur, um, I think that I think that Putin and his government somehow assumed that the negative perceptions that the world has of Russia were somehow connected with the sense of its importance, that people were frightened of it because it was a major power which they which they feared. And, and, and wanted to, to, to tackle or to destroy. And he was quite wrong. People were simply indifferent to it um, because mm. it's not interesting and it's not pleasant to think about. Um, and um, he didn't seem to be uh, able to understand the people, most people, many people around the world just didn't seem to think that Russia was worth thinking about. And that was the main reason why it ranked as low as it did in most of the in most of the indexes, which was mid twenties. Yeah, it was sort right. of stable in the mid twenties, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, just just not very important and not very interesting and not terribly nice and not terribly impressive. So already it was in a very vulnerable state. But what's the the interesting thing is 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 what's happened to the image of Ukraine? Now you you and I have spoken um, more than once in the past about national image being a security issue. And um, mm -hmm. we, we spoke indeed about Ukraine on this topic um, prior to the invasion, saying that it had a vulnerability in the sense that it's not a country that people around the world on the whole know much about or admire particularly. And that vulnerability is a serious one because it means if other countries are ever called upon to defend it, the leaders of those countries will know that they can get away without supporting Ukraine because nobody much cares or, or knows about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the miscalculation that, for example, Boris Johnson made at the beginning. Um, he said yes. to himself, well, people care about Hong Kong, so we'd better give visas to Hong Kongers who want to come to Britain. But nobody cares about Ukraine. Nobody even knows where it is. So I can get away with doing the minimum possible. And what he failed to anticipate, and indeed what I failed to anticipate, was how dramatically that would change. And how quickly? That's right. Uh, and I, I think one of the things that's most striking about um, the image of Ukraine and the reaction of the world to Ukraine is 
that it is so different to the reaction that we saw in 2014. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there was a David and Goliath in 2014. Uh, hmm. There was violation of international norms in 2014. Hmm. But the world, the, the skies did not darken. People uh, did not um, become uh, uh, enraged that Ukraine had been treated in such a way. Uh, hmm. and, and one of the little indicators, I think, that Ukraine at that point hadn't succeeded in getting its message out what was that um, media wasn't even consistent in the name of the country. You mm. still heard people refer to the Ukraine. Mm. Um, they were still pronouncing uh, Kiev in the Russian manner as Kiev. And um, uh, therefore, I think we can uh, look at the contrasting reaction uh, right now in 2022 as uh, indicating that Ukraine had done a good job in in differentiating itself from the narrative that came from Moscow, in uh, uh, making it clear that it, it was its own place with its own history, with its own um, uh, sense of self, its own plans. And and that narrative wasn't clear in 2014. Uh, mm. People had as many uh, ideas that overlapped with Putin as uh, diverged uh, from, from them. And uh, so I, I, I've been really struck by the things that people miraculously seem to know about Ukraine that they didn't know before. Yes. Uh, it's a very strong, uh, very strong contrast. Well, the things that miraculously people know about Ukraine, the miracle is that people have suddenly found a reason to want to find out about it. And they're going and looking it up on Wikipedia and so forth. And that mm -hmm. I've always thought is the real challenge is getting people sufficiently interested in your country to want to access the information. Um, so much quote-unquote nation branding just consists of firing information about countries to people, um, mm -hmm. oblivious to the fact that people simply won't absorb it if they're not interested. And the real challenge is, you know, as we say in English, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It's and, making them uh, drink, yes, that's right. Um, and, and now people right. want to drink from the, you know, the knowledge is out there. We live in a, we live in a world where we're overwhelmed with knowledge. You only have to go to Wikipedia and find out about any country on earth. It's not the lack of knowledge that's the importance. It's the reason to want to access the knowledge that was missing. But I, 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 I hear what you say about the difference between the invasion of Crimea and the invasion of the, of the country as a whole. I think there may be... Um, that may be part of it, but I think there's a simple uh, the, the support, the, the rebels in the Donbass and Russians crossing over and helping in yeah. that conflict, and yeah. uh, which, which was, the world was uncertain about. Exactly. The, the, I think the main reason why uh, it didn't seem to have a tremendous impact on public opinion was because there's a huge difference between um, a big, powerful country, which often does such things, taking a small bite out of another country, and a country invading another sovereign state. So no, no matter how little people may have known about Ukraine, what they did on the whole know was that it was a nation. Um, Crimea is a bit of a nation. And there's Georgia and there's Chechen and Russia does this stuff. And on the whole, yes. I think most, people reaction, most people's reaction was, oh God, there they go again. Um, yes, absolutely. Local it was turmoil. consistent with Russia's brand. You know, yeah. it, was it was consistent with what, with what we know about Russia, as is... Um, you know, uh, the um, uh, political repression, closing newspapers, this yeah. sort of stuff. 
um, uh, is is not out of line with what people expect Russia to 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 do in the world. Um, neither is the cheating in the Olympics. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that's uh, an established story. We you know when we were kids, we used to joke about the Russian weightlifters, the ladies having taken steroids. That was a yes. really common thing to t- <laughs> to, uh, to talk about. Um, but but this is different. Uh, you know, columns of tanks crossing the frontier uh, like it's uh, World War II is um, is truly uh, shocking and um, uh, redef- redefining of uh, an, an, an image. I, I can I completely agree. And and our and our response to it, I think, is is one of the things that I've found most reassuring about about the whole sorry episode. The the response of sheer incredulity on the part of almost everybody under 40 um, mm. looking at this. I mean, I hear my own kids who are in their 20s just just staggered by this. What does this mean that a country will just invade another country and drive tanks in and start shooting at people? It seems to be so, um, so antediluvian, so prehistoric behavior. And it seems to me mm. to be a sign of how far the world has come that we don't do conflict like that anymore. And that may Mm. sound like a very minor detail, but I don't think it is a minor detail. I think the world's uh, feeling that we no longer live in a world where people do things like that, that this just isn't a thing that happens anymore. That's really rather powerful. And a lot of things have changed in the world since 1945, not least the the power of consumers. Consumers are now playing a major role in this conflict, which they've never really done before. A lot of the sanctions are being driven by corporations afraid of upsetting their consumers, which wouldn't have been the case. I agree. It took took decades to get this sort of thing underway um, uh, to um, uh, ostracize South Africa. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, But this time... It's happened very, very quickly. And corporations that had turned a blind eye in 2014 have been obliged to do something. You know, I was very interested that media, uh, the big media companies like Disney, uh, HBO and uh, so forth, who by allowing their content to be available uh, to Russian state media had actually been providing the spoonful of sugar to help Putin's propaganda medicine go down. Uh, in the um, uh, in you know in in, in the uh, uh, post um, twenty fourteen uh, era and making mm. it difficult for people who wanted to get balanced alternative news into into Russia because they had to mm. they had to compete with fantastic Western entertainment mm. uh, in Russian dub or with subtitles. So mm. it's really interesting that now the corporations, the media corporations don't want to be involved. The fast food companies don't want to be there. Um, mm. that, I, I, I think that's a very, very striking element. Uh, one more thing that shows how how far we've come, how yeah. Uh, swiftly we moved to, uh, uh, to to that position. Yeah. And, wh- and whilst we're on the positive side, and I don't think it's in any sense in poor taste to talk about the positive side, I think one has to try to see both. I suspect that the day that uh, Putin invaded Ukraine, the cheer that must have gone up inside the Pentagon would have been rousing. Because here at last is an opportunity 
for the nuisance that is Putin and the nuisance that is Putin's Russia in the modern world to actually mm-hmm. discredit itself or overextend itself sufficiently to wipe itself out. And if that happens, and it's increasingly looking as if that's the only possible outcome, we might have 20 years of peace and prosperity. If there's no Russian backing for all the other troublemakers, for uh, for Maduro in, 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 um, in Venezuela, for the Houthi rebels in Yemen, for Bolsonaro, for Cuba, mm-hmm. for uh, Pakistan in some senses, for Iran, and so on and so forth, then we could genuinely be looking at decades of peace and prosperity, or at least a, a bipolar war between America and China. But certainly um, an opportunity for us to, as, a, as, a, um, as humanity, to start focusing on the things that really matter and get to work on climate change and get to work, get on, to work on climate, absolutely. Um, um, rather than having to worry about um, mad tyrants just trying to cause trouble. But, you know, on the uh, one, one thing that must be worrying is by cutting Russia out of the financial network of the West, suspending those services like... Um, uh, swift bank uh, swift banking and uh, those sorts of things yeah. we drive russia into an alternative uh financial structure the 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 structure that that's uh, focused on 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 china yeah. um this could end up being the war that makes the world safe for china and to a lesser extent india what are the implications of this conflict for the images of China and India, for their positioning themselves on the world stage. Absolutely. And, and, and before we even come to that, we also have to remember the Second World War again and remember that that emerged not least because Germany as the loser in the First World War had been so thoroughly humiliated by the world, mm-hmm. had been turned into a pariah, its economy had been virtually ruined, and that was what created the fertile soil for Hitler to emerge. Um, so we don't want to be setting ourselves up for that mistake all over again. The irony, if uh, all the parallels between Hitler and Putin turn out to be wrong, actually Putin is Kaiser Wilhelm. Um, the, the Hitler of Russia is, is yet to emerge um, following the fallout after this failed experiment. Well, I, I, I you know, just you know, put my cards on the table, I thought that NATO expansion was, well, should we say minimally mishandled? Mm. And there there were smart people at the time who thought it was a bad idea to alienate Russia uh, in in that way Mm. um, for limited strategic benefit, though part of the problem is retroactively, um, uh, NATO expansion has become this self-fulfilling prophecy where... uh, <laughs> of course, Poland needs to be in NATO because yeah. Russia's still invading people, yes. uh, and we we will never know if an alternative, uh, if alternative diplomatic choices would have created alternative behaviours. That was, uh, and I, I don't think NATO expansion was properly considered. I think it was, you know, like the old marriage ceremony used to say, uh, uh, taken in hand, un- um, uh, what is it, um, lightly or wantonly. Uh, mm. <laughs> it wasn't really thought, they didn't really uh, think it through and, mm. and are now living with um, living with the concept, unadvisedly, lightly or wantonly was the uh, prayer yes. book would say that. Uh, 
uh, and certainly there were advisors who said this is not a good idea. People like uh, George Kennan, the um, great American uh, diplomatic thinker on, yes. on uh, issues of Russia, um, the great U.S. ambassador uh, Jack Matlock thought it was a, a, a bad idea, um, and uh, it happened um, uh, too quickly and with with without consideration for uh, the implications. Yes, and and the one thing that we cannot expect and could never have expected Russia to believe um, is the idea of NATO being purely defensive, because that's NATO's propaganda, um, and of course, mm-hmm. of course, we believe it. Um, and we take it as a given, um, but it would be absurd to expect um, um, NATO's uh, enemies or rivals to believe that. But anyway, you you, you mentioned India and China. Well, um, they are heading for great danger as far as the image stakes are going. Um, the, the mood of international public opinion at the moment, or the bulk of it, is such that uh, anybody who's not with us is against us. And the spectacle of, of uh, um, India not only uh, vacillating, but actually um, making from time to time fairly strongly pro-Russian noises is enormously risky for, for India's acceptance, especially by um, younger people around the world. And likewise, China. I mean, in, in all of this, um, the, there have been so many things happening over the past few weeks to make your blood boil. But I have to say that nothing, nothing made my blood boil as ebulliently as the Chinese suddenly for the first time in 40 years choosing not to say that invading uh, another sovereign territory is a bad thing. Um, mm. after, uh, after repeating that endlessly for the tiniest possible infraction, imaginary infraction of, nas- of national sovereignty, suddenly when it really is one nation state, unjustifiably and aggressively invading another country. Suddenly from China, we hear nothing about the, um, the sanctity of the sovereignty of other nations. And that hypocrisy just made my blood boil. The, uh, we're also, but I think that the, there's, there are a few signs of China backing off uh, from that, um, uh, trying to play both sides, uh, sending mm. humanitarian aid to no. Ukraine, um, so I think they, they may have clued in that that, that was a, uh, a misstep. Um, India's neutrality, though historically completely consistent with what India has said and done in the past, um, has attracted a lot of negative uh, feeling and clearly has Indian commentators, at least, on the defensive. Yes. Yes, I think that's right. Um I want to ask you a question, Nick. Since you're the only propaganda expert I know, why <laughs> why, why does uh, Putin allow um, Alexei Navalny to continue to use social media when he's <laughs> when, 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 when he's <laughs> when he's banned entire entire media outlets simply for using the word war? Navalny is allowed to explicitly foment insurrection. Why he's in prison? Why don't they just confiscate his cell phone? Yeah, that's a well. That, that's a really good question. <laughs> so, so there are two. I things. don't know what I do know. What I what I would say is that um, it is noticeable how Putin is going down a playbook of how to do 
uh, how to do prop uh, propaganda, uh, mm. tightening both censorship on mm. the one side to limit what his people can find out, uh, mm. but also uh, cranking up um, the really emotive messaging on the other to uh, not not tell them new things, but rather reassure them that the the state is tapping into the hidden thoughts. Uh, the feelings of national exceptionalism, mm -hmm. uh, religious mission uh, on the part of the Orthodox Church, uh, and and historic mission. Uh, mm -hmm. This business of fighting Nazis in Ukraine is is yes. the most historically emotive thing he could uh, possibly have have invoked. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, in that regard, I'm I'm struck how Putin is playing it down the line in terms of. Uh, traditional propaganda approaches uh, and just cranking up the volume of material uh, because it's so easy to do that uh, mm. in a in a social uh, media age. Yes. Um, I, I wish that or that more could be done to try and bust his propaganda bubble, uh, mm. because one thing we know about propaganda is uh, that it works it works best when you control. Uh, all the sources of information coming in, going out, and uh, having having com complete control. So any little uh, uncertainty that can be introduced from outside can mm. be incredibly powerful. Mm. It was interesting that the BBC uh, World Service has let it be known they're available on the dark web. Uh, mm. It's interesting that the BBC has gone back to uh, shortwave broadcasting, uh, both for, for Russian and Ukrainian listeners. Uh, mm. And... Um, uh, these are little indications of, of a return to um, a um, the, the information conditions that prevailed during the Cold War. Yeah, yeah. By the way, just a little footnote in case any of our listeners are, are screaming at their at their computers at the moment. I am aware of the fact that Alexei Navalny has a team in Lithuania that looks after his social media for him. Um, but if it really is the case that they are um, inventing and tweeting on his behalf, that would presumably make it a very easy target for the Putin government to discredit it and say that it's fake news and show that it's coming out of Lithuania. But for whatever reason, they appear to be choosing not to do that. I have a conspiracy theory. I, I believe that Navalny is actually in the pay of Putin and um, he's like another Medvedev. And so he's Putin's backup in case Putin is at some stage forced to hold democratic elections. And so the obvious contender gets ushered in and Putin continues to control him via back channels that the, the public can't see. Now, I apologize to all supporters of Navalny if, uh, if, if that's a horrendous uh, accusation to level. Uh, it's simply a, a hypothesis which might be worth uh, discussing. Um, well, I'm certainly of the camp that does not think Navalny is Nelson Mandela. Uh, so I'm suspicious. I'm I'm suspicious of the way in which he has been portrayed as the. Um, uh, as the uh, this this great white knight who was coming in to um, uh, save everything, so mm. uh, I I would not laugh your um, suggestion out, uh, out of court. No, I would entertain that, uh, Simon. Uh, mm. How you mm. would find evidence um, 
to take that uh, further i don't i don't know but it's um uh interesting idea in the in the fog of psyops war it's very difficult to know what to believe and what not but i was struck by reports of navalny having referred to chechens as cockroaches and having mm. uh, shown support for the idea of the annexation of crimea but then who knows who knows if he really said those things or who knows whether they were simply uh, but uh, and certainly putin is too smart a guy not to have a plan b not to have a uh, a succession idea at the back of his head mm. but putting poison in the guy's underpants is not a traditional way of um bringing along a successor no, but did you see the underpants? No. Um, we, we, we heard on the media the result of the press release. Um, so right. what, what can we possibly believe? Anyway, oh, uh, enough of, uh, uh, enough of uh, Navalny. Um, but I do think that um, one of the, um, the worst things about this situation is the way that it opens Pandora's box for all of the um, the most potent and most evil emotions to flood out. And mm. some of my um, friends in Ukraine have been circulating um, a, a lot of very stirring nationalistic um, messages about the love they've discovered for their homeland um, and the hatred that they've discovered for their Russian brothers. And this is unfortunately necessary. One of the things that happens when countries go to war mm. is that uh, hatred and exaggerated national self-love have to be let out of the box because they are the fuel that enable young men to fight and kill each other. Um, and you can't fight a war without them. But once they've been let out of the box, they're very hard to put back in again. And this mm. kind of extreme nationalism is incredibly important right now for the Ukrainians. It's what they're fighting on. It's their fuel. Um, but will it go away when things are over? Let's hope so. And in the same well, way, the hatred for the Russians. Uh, no, absolutely. And um, uh, one of the cruel things about war is how even if people are reluctant to begin it, um, what once once you, and uh, you know just uh, have no particular attachment to the initial operation, once you are in a foreign country and people are shooting at you, you um, fight to protect the person standing next to you. Mm -hmm. uh, later on, maybe to avenge the person who was standing next to you and the mm -hmm. war develops its own, uh, its own um, logic and um, motivation. And I, th I think it's um, why it's such a terrible thing that uh, we move into this uh, uh, conflict situation at all. Um, and I, 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 I think it's important that uh, we don't play into as uh, people uh, living uh, outside of the immediate war zone, that we don't play into uh, Putin's narrative that mm. all the world hates Russia. Yes. And we should remember uh, that it is one person who chose this war, yes. uh, that he is manipulating the feelings of ordinary Russians and pitching something to them in terms that they find acceptable uh, for, at, a, at a moment, but this is not who they are. It's not who, uh, uh, what Russia has been historically. And mm. that there are a lot of people in Russia who think this war is a very bad idea. Uh, yes. There's a tremendous brain, brain, brain drain going on right now. 
uh, as many as uh, 20,000 uh, Russian um, uh, uh, Russians from various sectors, education and um, uh, computer science, uh, uh, leaving, uh, leaving the country. Uh, and of course, the Ukrainian refugees have, have our, our first thoughts, but um, uh, we should remember those people too and uh, look for a, a solution to this that mm. is um, uh, uh, remembers everybody involved. Yes, absolutely. And I was, I was going to say precisely that. Let's spare a thought for the uh, Russians who may dislike Putin, may dislike what he's done or have no feelings about it whatsoever, but are likely to face prejudice for the rest of their lives. And they're unlucky in the sense that Russian is an immediately recognizable language. A Russian name is an unmistakably is an unmistakable name. Um, the Germans and the Japanese suffered from the from the same misfortune when they were pariahs in the uh, in the beginning of the twentieth century. A person with a Japanese name is very obviously Japanese. A person with a German name is very obviously German. And the um, the mass prejudice against those people, whatever their individual feelings might be, um, is going to be a very serious problem for a very long time to come. And it's a terrible thing, but as I say, these feelings need to be unleashed at their full strength mm -hmm. if wars are to be, re if invasions are to be resisted, mm -hmm. wars are to be ended. Um, but then there's many, many years of trying to force them back into the box, and they don't want to go. Well, I think there's a lot to think about. Um, it's interesting to see that uh, diplomacy does seem to be moving forward. Uh, and some positive signals uh, on the diplomatic front. Uh, let's hope that um, a, uh, well, as the diplomats say, an off-ramp can be uh, discovered and a way out from uh, this terrible situation. Mm. Um, I think that uh, we'll probably ret <laughs> return to this before the season is, uh, is um, done. Mm. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'm still Nick Cull. I'm still Simon Anhold. <laughs>